0: First of all, I'm looking at a broader study of family planning and and I deliberately decided to start here because I wanted to really unsettle my own mindset on the topic uh, because so much of the historiography focuses on the 1935 Criminal Law Amendment Act and then you get kind of the Mary Robinson bills, you get the contraceptive train and various other items like that and I think there's need to just pull back and maybe look at it from a slightly different angle. That's important, but I think we need to come at it in a different way. Uh, And that's really one of the purposes behind this paper. I should begin, I think, by defining what I mean by natural family, what is meant by natural family planning, and there should probably be quote marks on natural. You may all all decide at the end of this paper how natural it is. Um, The furrow listed 13 different varieties of it, including many that I must say I'd never heard of. Um, And my sister, very, right? unhelpfully threw at me there when I was writing this paper, and what about persona? And I said, what's persona? And she said, I can't remember, but I saw old case files recently, and I'd written persona and condoms on it But the spot of She's a gynecologist. And persona is a variant of, it's a method of trying, they all have one thing in common, which is to identify the phases in a woman's menstrual cycle when she's likely to conceive, and it's tried through various routes. Persona was is one of those trying to look at chemical balance. Uh, one thing to bear in mind is the Catholic Church and all advocates for natural family planning are very careful to say it's not contraception. So, you know, just to note that. Um, As I said, it hasn't really been looked at by historians, but I think it's actually exceedingly important, much more important than some of the things that people have got very, you know, worked up about at times. Because in 1974 market research revealed that 55% of women using family planning were using natural methods. And in 1985, a survey of the contraceptive history of mothers who had recently given birth in the Rotunda, so this is Dublin, eh, North, rural Ireland, showed that 30% had used natural family planning. A further, 30 had not taken any steps to avoid conception. I should note about those, a lot of those would have been first-time mothers, and, you know, they, they wanted to have a baby, so it doesn't mean that they, they weren't going to use contraception again. But natural family planning is central to the story of Ireland's fertility, decline or lack thereof, and it has to be built into our story. Uh, What I'm trying to do in this paper is two things. I'm trying to put together the first narrative of natural family planning in Ireland. Uh, It's the first version. This will change over time. And apart from establishing a narrative, my my underlying question is, is Ireland different from other Catholic countries? And the second second question is, what does it tell us about the Catholic Church in Ireland, in 20th century Ireland? what does it tell us about Irish society? And I think it does tell us a Things we have to begin by saying, in demographic terms, that Ireland is different. Um, It's a country of late marriages, a high level of permanent, high level of permanent celibacy. But those who married had lots of children. These are figures for live births in 1961, deliberately taken. And you can see that the Irish birth rate is the birth rate in the Republic is almost double the British one. Um, It is double the Greek. You know, I think I, I deliberately picked countries in southern Europe who would you know you would not see, and of course it's two and a half times the Swedish as well. Um, so the Irish pattern is one of, uh, of large families well into the second half of the twentieth century. Um, I don't have time to go through what was happening with the Irish demographic decline comical has shown evidence that you can pick it up in 1911 census, you can pick up all differences, very little in Clare a lot more in Meath for example is one of his points. There is also some slow fertility decline eh, in the 20s and 30s which seems to come to a halt around the end of World War Two, and then it does begin to resume again sometime after this but it's it's much slower than elsewhere. What happens I think post-World War Two, and this is, I put this together from talking to a number of older gynecologists is that with a, the treatment of TB and with a, antibiotics able to treat VD, some forms of medical sterility, which would have kept fertility down, actually disappeared, and hence fertility went up. That's what they've told me, particularly in working-class Dublin, Dublin communities. So, the, But there is a story to be explained about... Ireland's fertility. The other, uh, uh, just another few figures to throw in 1967, swinging 60s, and all of that, uh, almost a quarter, twenty-three percent of mothers giving birth in Hollow Street were giving birth to their fifth or more than fifth child. By nineteen seventy-six the figure is is ten percent. So the decline is happening then the decline is really happening at the level of very large families. Hollow Street could in sixty in seventy six proclaim the days of the Grand Multipara, that's seven plus children are are gone. Uh, but the grand multipara accounted for more than one in ten of all babies born in the rotunda in nineteen sixty three. But it's not really until the nineteen eighties that you get a significant fall in fertility and Irish family size in the 1990s was still significantly larger than the EU average. Indeed, a series of surveys done of mothers in the early 1980s when they were asked how many children did they want to have, they all came in with answers of three or four children, which is roughly double what mothers were saying anywhere else in Europe at the time. So there there are interesting, complex issues there that are not all related to the methods of family planning or contraception. Uh, But I want to get back to natural family planning here. While natural family planning has a much higher failure rate than the pill or modern barrier methods. Um, The historical evidence shows that most of the long-term historic decline in fertility was achieved in the absence of modern, reliable methods. I mean, if you look at the work of Simon Schrader and Kate Fisher in Britain, they highlight the importance of abstinence, withdrawal in reducing fertility, but from the late 19th century up until the 1960s, Fisher claims that despite the increase in use of barrier methods for the period before the pill, that's up to the 1960s, withdrawal remained the most dominant method of birth control. Um, According to John Marshall, who's a British neurologist who worked closely with the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council and was a member of the Papal Commission on Contraception in the 1960s, if you have 100 couples using no form of fertility limitation, roughly 80 will become pregnant within 12 months. If they use natural methods, that falls to 25. Now, 25, if you don't want any babies, is a fairly high failure rate, but 25 Mm -hmm. versus 80 has a very significant impact on, 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 on birth. Birth rates for a a, for for country, so the use or non-use of natural family planning in Ireland is very significant in terms of this kind of equation. Um, I'm starting the story in the nineteen thirties thereabouts for a number of good reasons. First of all, population decline, race suicide is an obsession of the time. The, tw- the period direct after World War One is where you get Mary Stopes's publication, great publicist, um, you know, in many ways, the setting up of the Stopes Clinic. And then another major landmark, the nineteen thirty Lambeth Conference, because until nineteen thirty, all the major churches were united in opposition to fertility. Limitation to, to, to any kind of birth control. So you get the Lambeth Conference in, the, I think, the summer, late summer, early autumn, and re, a retaliation from the Vatican within months, New Year's Eve 1930, the issuing of the papal encyclical Castor Canubi, which is definitely a direct answer to, to the Lambeth Conference. And Castic Canubi urged the faithful to bear offspring for the Church of Christ, to procreate saints and servants of God, that the people adhering to the worship of God, our Saviour, should daily and It condemned any use of the Marriage Act when deprived of the power to procreate, and the encyclical specifically stated that confessors should inform penitents of their duty to procreate and should disabuse those who used contraception in good faith. Kastrikanubi doesn't really mention the safe period very much, but it does declare that it it is lawful, provided always that the intrinsic nature of that act was preserved and according to its proper relation to the primary end, which is conceiving children. Now, the belief that women weren't fertile all times wasn't new, but in the the late 19th century, if you tried to use what was was supposedly known about the safe period, uh, you would have got it precisely wrong. They thought the safe period was mid-cycle, you know, uh, at the the most fertile period at the time. And this misunderstanding can be found in Ireland. A GP in Ennis told the US anthropologist Solon Kimball that, quote, you would be surprised at some of the queer ideas they have regarding sex and pregnancy. I've had men tell me, and seriously, the only time they were sure they could make their wives pregnant was during the time they were unwell. I suppose it comes from their ideas in dealing with cattle in that this is the time when a woman is in heat and should be made pregnant for the man and the woman to relations during this period and will ruin both of them and they they never taught us in the books that pregnancy could take place at this time. In fact I don't think it can. An accurate version of the female cycle only became known in the early 1930s. The first to come up with it was a, a gentleman called Kayazuko Ogino uh, who made a mistake of publishing in Japanese in 1924 always published in international peer-reviewed journals that can be read by a lot of people. Uh, it wasn't translated into German until 1930, not into English until 1932. Meanwhile Hermann Knauss, an Austrian doctor, had come up with the same findings and he actually got international notice first. So it becomes known as the Organo-Knauss uh, uh, version. And there and. Sorry, and their, and their findings were widely, were widely publicized in Europe and North America during the 1930s. In 1932, a best selling book by Leo Latz, who was a member of the medical faculty at Loyola University, a Jesuit university in Chicago, titled The Rhythm of uh, Sterility and Fertility in women uh, appeared on the market, and this is where we get the rhythm, the rhythm uh, cycle from, uh, the rhythm movement from. Uh, over sixty thousand copies sold in the U.S. within a year, and this is where you get the rhythm method title. Uh, there was this was one of several books on the safe period which appeared in the early 1930s, all carrying the imprint of Catholic bishops. News of the rhythm method reached Ireland quite quickly. In November '33, Kimball described one of his and his companions quizzing the local doctor about the safe period and how it worked. The doctor's response was, I buy books on the subject and I have the word of authorities all over the world. I don't really believe them, by the way. And I read these books, but there isn't any safe period because they don't agree on it. The general idea is that from the 17th to the 24th day, but if you take my advice, you'll get caught even then. There is no safe period I've known men who've been all right for several years and then all of a sudden they get caught. Men, I notice. <laughs> uh, I, I suspect there's an element of braggadocio about this response because the scientific information was relatively new so it's unlikely that they could have been all right for several years using the method. But the exchange shows a degree of knowledge. On another occasion, a, a bank clerk who was a single man who claimed to have no interest in marriage reported that a friend of his had informed him the safe time to have sexual relations was shortly after menstruation. In 1937, in a paper, the problem of population, UCC economics professor John Busteed, who was active in Catholic Action, claimed that information about the safe period had been spreading throughout the Irish middle classes for the past two years. It, what it suggests is that there is some general knowledge, accurate or otherwise, about the rhythm method in 1930s Ireland. In 1934, the Irish Ecclesiastical Record answered the question for one priest. They've wonderful agony columns for priests, by the way, uh, who wanted to know: is it permissible to teach publicly knowledge of the Ogado and Klaus method of preaching, disseminating, and broadcasting popular booklets with minute explanations of the recurrence of the so-called sterile period, and all public utterances by clerics or laymen in any way recommending the practice? Is it permissible to teach publicly the doctrine of the empty cradle? The reply stated that if couples began to make widespread use of periodic conscience, the practice might be as socially calamitous as the intrinsically immoral practice of birth control. So the safe period might, if everybody started using it, be as socially calamitous as birth control. Widespread use of the safe period would be an abuse, and the respondent probably Cannon McCarthy from news said, we hope and believe it is true that the married couples who have sufficiently justified cause for availing of O'Gado klaus method are comparatively few. That in itself should be ample reason why knowledge of system should not be spread indiscriminately. For it's unfortunately only too easy for people to persuade themselves that the medical, social, or u- Genic indications of which we've spoken are verified in their case. So he basically goes on and says that instruction should, as far as possible, be one-to-one individual, no public instruction. A distinguished medical practitioner, laments the wide publicity, this is Kenneth McCarthy still, it has been given in popular pamphlets and regrets the matter should not have been reserved for the columns of scientific periodicals. So Kenneth McCarthy goes on to say that he's very startled that this has been the subject of discourse in the church. It would be difficult to conceive of circumstances that would justify public instruction to congregations of every age and condition on matters which is are of their nature delicate and dangerous. So the message is clear. Information about the safe period should be restricted to couples who have a very, very serious reason to use it. Information should only be communicated uh, privately. And it was a matter for a priest, probably in confession, to determine whether a couple was entitled to this information. Some priests in Ireland and in other Catholic countries asked men and women in confession whether they were married, and if they were married, how many children they had. And those with small families might be subject to further interrogation. I've, I've come across several of those stories anecdotally from people. Uh, most of the enforcement of church teaching and contraception in large families is not found in sermons. You'll get it it's hap- because it's happening in the confessional, and this is not just in Ireland. Uh, why Ennis, mother of two, who was the wife of a professional man, was, who was determined not to have any more children, told Solon Kimball that, quote, she'd been to a new priest, and he had said some things to her, and she thought to herself she didn't want to go back to him again. She knew a nice little priest who was very nice, and she was going to go to confession to him in, in future. Now, she was all right. She, she lived in Ennis, where there, are, you know, quite a number of, there was a choice of priests. There was the friary, I don't any other orders, and there was the diocesan priest, and she was able to pick and choose for priest to attend. Uh, but if you were out in the country parish, you wouldn't have had those choices. Uh, what priests said or failed to say in confession two couples who were limiting their family size varied widely, even within a country. In the U.S., and there's a, there was a very brave historian called Leslie Tentler, who interviewed elderly priests about what they'd said in confession to married couples. I decided life is too short. And I'm not going to try doing this. And what she discovered from her work, it's, it's, it's really fascinating, for Catholics and Contraception, uh, is that some of them ducked it entirely. Some of them left the matter in t- ho- entirely to parish missions. Uh, some missionaries didn't do it, but they would have done it in confession, they wouldn't have done it in public. But some large US parishes held four different missions one for single men. A second for single women, one for married men, and one for married women. And in those areas, you would get the uh, 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 heavy-duty sermons on the whole question of family limitation. Um, Initially, where coitus interruptus was probably the main method of contraception well into the 1980s, and maybe still is. I haven't looked at the more recent stuff. In the 1930s, many of the priests in the Diocese of Padua a, appeared to have made a consci- conscious decision not to press those in confession about what they were doing to limit their family size. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is recorded in diocesan communication between the bishop's office and, and, the pre- and the parish priests. Thousands of couples learned about the safe period from lats and other approved authors, though the approval in the States was by no means universal and the same applies everywhere else. Latt's actually lost his job in Loyola Loyola University and the Archbishop of Chicago who had issued an imprimatur for the book withdrew it afterwards and that was not uncommon but there was information in the States. Uh, There was another book that sold very widely by a man called John A. O'Brien called Legitimate Birth Control. O'Brien is the Notre Dame uh, priest who was also the editor of The Vanishing Irish and it's kind of a pity that he didn't, you know, incorporate Some of stuff, that stuff into that book. Uh, but O'Brien actually, uh, uh, O'Brien's legitimate birth control actually appeared in a family magazine called The Sunday Visitor, but mine is what they describe as the how to section. In other words, it kind of outlined in general, but it didn't give you any specific details. Uh, Joanna Smulder, a Catholic doctor practicing Brabant, published a guide to the safe period written in simple language, which could be understood by people with very limited education. And by 1939, that had reached its seventh reprint, so in Brabant you would have had very accessible information. In Quebec, a Dominican priest published a pamphlet on the safe period at his own expense, and it was taught in pre-marriage courses eh, organised by the Catholic Action Movement there from about the 1940s onwards. From the nineteen thirties, an estimated eighty percent of Catholic couples in Quebec, sorry, from the nineteen thirties, from from the nineteen thirties an estimated eighty per cent of Catholic couples in Quebec used the rhythm method compared with twenty-five percent of non-Catholic couples. And Quebec had would have had a much higher fertility rate than Ireland in the nineteen twenties, and it kind of goes cascades, so that it ends up by the late twentieth century one the lowest uh, lowest in 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 the world. Uh, in Britain. Um, sorry, that, that's um, that's 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 a copy of Latz's book. That's the inside page, and it's very smudgy, so you can't see it. But it does appear to have reached Ireland because that's that's a kind of a, a kind of a, you know stamped on imprint of the of the Catholic Truth Society of Ireland, um, and that copy's in the College of Physicians. It's the only copy that I can find in Ireland of the book, and it, and it, it was. It bears also the book print, book plate for the Hiberian House in Mount Rath. I don't know who was in that. That person obviously had the copy and it was bought by John Fleetwood. But it's the only book. On, fa- uh, on, safe, on safe period rhythm method, anything like that, in the college library or in, in Fleetwood's collection. But uh, this is a book that I think most of you have heard of, and this is The Big Vadim, It Come for British Couples, uh, Haldis Sutherland, The Laws of Life. This is my, this is the kind of, This is the, I, ha- I have that copy, The Cheap, the cheap 3 and one, which I got secondhand somewhere or other. Uh, it was first published in 1935 by Sheed Ward, which is a very mainstream Catholic publisher, and it had the permissos superiorum for the Archdiocese of Westminster. Now that gives a detailed account of the safe period, complete with diagrams of the female reproductive organs, clear explanation of the reproductive biology, and page after page of calendars highlighting fertile and infertile periods, charts that a woman could fill out due to do the calculations. But I, by this time, it's in its sixth edition. Uh, no, sorry that's the seventh. Edition, Now, as many of you would know, the book was banned in Ireland uh, in 1941, but the story is complex. It's worth stopping for a moment because it was a complaint by a Protestant father who claimed that the information could be abused by young people. Uh, Presumably he feared the amount of sex without risk of pregnancy. The book was banned not under the section uh, advocating the unnatural prevention of conception, but on grounds that it was in its tendency indecent and obscene. Now, it's quite obvious that uh, Sean McIntyre, the cabinet minister, had a copy because in the 1940s, large chunks of it, not the chunks on how to calculate the safe period, but the kind of neo-Malthusian bits uh, were, were, were transcribed by some hapless typist and given out to cabinet ministers as part of the debate over, over children's allowances. And um, a, a, when I went looking for this, when I was writing the, the Slow failure book, because I discussed that there, a, I discovered there wasn't a copy to be found anywhere in Ireland. I did try the libraries at at the time, uh, but uh, but uh, but uh, basically, obviously, there were some copies around because otherwise, how did MacInty get that book? Because uh, what I'm raising there is what information. You know, you're living in Ireland, you're a married couple, you're Catholic, and you want to maybe deploy some of these methods to limit your family. What information could you get? Very very hard to know, as I said. Lots. You can see it there. Lots does appear to have been distributed by the CTSI, but it's the only copy I've found. I haven't yet been to the Catholic Central Library, hasten to wild Many books that mentioned family planning were banned by the censorship of publications board, but the list of banned books does not reveal any case other than Sutherland where a book approved by a Catholic bishop was subject to a ban. There's no evidence that any other book on the on, the, on natural family planning was was banned. Veritas, as I said, appears to have distributed lots, but as I said, copies aren't great. But censorship laws would and censorship enforcement would well have to, would probably have deterred people from ordering books on the safe period or bringing them into Ireland. Ron Fanning met me, I put a copy down the way when I had got on an interlibrary loan a copy of uh, Sutherland when I was working in slow failure and he looked at what I was doing and he said, oh yeah, he once found a copy of this uh, carefully hidden in a bookshelf. Uh, it is among his father's books, but his father was a doctor had worked in England, his mother was English so, you know, one can understand where that copy could have come from. But for the ordinary person, what I'm trying to say is access to information very difficult. In the early 1960s, Declan Marr, a High Street consultant of whom more or not, a, a got a whole series of pamphlets, literature from the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council in the UK, sent to him by post, and some zealous customs official confiscated the lot, and he had to turn up at an office somewhere, and he got them back, and that's fine. You know, if you're if you're a High Street gynecologist, I think you'll get them back, whereas if you're Joe Bloggs, might be a bit more difficult. In 1977, UCD law lecturer James O'Reilly claimed that the scope of an indecent advertisement was so wide as to prohibit the advertisement or promotion in print of methods of family planning the Catholic Church now approves of. So the censorship regulation, I think, may be important, but I think maybe more important is the attitude of the Irish Catholic Church and other points as well. The Vatican's attitude towards the safe period remained guarded at best until October 19 when Pius XII, speaking to the Congress of the Italian Catholic Union of Midwives, endorsed the use of the rhythm method by married couples, and endorsed it pretty warmly. He said that whether its use was right or wrong depended on motives. Serious reasons, medical, eugenic, economic and social, could justify it, even for the entire duration of the marriage. And Noonan, who's written this thumping great book on on you know the Catholic Church and contraception, it's a it's a, it's a remarkable piece of work. Suggests, I think, quite correctly, that under Pius the under the 1951 pass, the 12th statement, economic motives went far beyond the fear that you're going to live in dire poverty. In other words, a couple who wanted to give a decent livelihood, lifestyle to their children, who wanted to educate them, would would have been seen in the Pius the 12th language of um, you know just being justified in in using that method. Social motives could. I'm very concerned at world overpopulation. Apparently that would have been acceptable as well. And um, and Pius the Twelfth actually reiterates his message a month later when he addressed two lar- two Catholic Italian Catholic associations that promoted large families. But so he sends out a fairly clear message. And he also tells the Catholic midwives that it's their duty to learn uh, the, uh, natural family planning and it's their duty to assist you know, the mothers that whose babies they've delivered in, in using this method. So in other words, he's advocating them going out and, uh, you know, spreading the message. In the US, uh, the Pius XII 1951 approval encouraged a much more open discussion of the rhythm method. According to Tentler, periodicals aimed at the laity, which even in the 1940s seldom or never referred to rhythm, now carried features in the subject that were frank and sometimes markedly sympathetic. Some priests persisted in their hostility to any limitation on the size of families, but they were considerably outnumbered and their advice was increasingly que- being questioned by couples. In Britain, the Catholic Marriage Advisor Council, which was set up in 1946 by the Archbishop of Westminster, Cardinal Griffin, um, initially only provided training in natural family planning where a couple had either a very large family or where there were serious health uh, risks. But after the the 12th uh, uh, statement, they began to teach it to engaged couples at pre-marriage courses and they began to teach it uh, you know, very, very widely. And a lot of priests uh, and, uh, you know, and the whole attitude changes really begins to expand in the 1950s. By, uh, by the 1950s, the calendar method was being suppl- suppl- supplemented and often supplanted, and here's, here's your here's your entertainment for the for the evening, folks, uh, by uh, the basal body temperature method, which was desi- devised by a Dutch gynecologist called Holt, where a woman recorded her temperature daily, having lain down immobile for three hours. It was later reduced to one hour. Uh, what that meant was, if as if if an infant cried and you got up. to care for the infant well sorry without having your temperature taken sorry your readings are gone for the day the changes were very minor 0.2% to 0.5 degrees centigrade indicating ovulation and the other bizarre feature that um, the other bizarre feature is that most of the guides up to the 1960s required rectal thermometers rather than a thermometer in the mouth and when i asked my sister about this and she said what's you on about and i said it's all over the place she said the, temp- the body's temperature is the same regardless of where it's taken, uh, except that I haven't given you. I've decided to be tasteful. Um, what I've given you here is the David Lodge quotation. There's a further block which where, Dave, where the wife in this question is using two thermometers uh, and she's getting two different readings and is wondering what, what to make of, you know, it's temperatures higher in one part of her body than the other, but um, we, I decided not to, not to give that there. But basically, the point is that this provided a much more accurate uh, version of, you can all read as I said. Uh, this provides a much more accurate measurement of ovulation. They know that you could actually determine ovulation has happened when the temperature a, a goes to that rise. But it does require training. It requires access to the appropriate thermometer because you're picking up a very, very small change, and the thermometer that you'd buy in the chemist to check whether you know you've got flu uh, is probably not sufficiently well calibrated to do it. Though um, I have read claims with John Bond of the 1980s you could do it in the using a standard thermometer but then he gives the game away by saying but there are now digital thermometers available and yes, you could do it with a digital thermometer. But he then goes on to say that the scale of the graph paper recording the temperature was critical to success. So it's a complex piece of precise uh, 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 recording of evidence. Nevertheless, the British Catholic Advisory Council taught the temperature method very vigorously from the late 1940s onwards. And in Quebec, Serena, the Service de Regulation des Naissances was founded in 1955 by a young married couple, and they promulgated the thermal method very widely throughout Quebec. And it was taken up by very large numbers of working class families, who all wrote wonderful letters about how this had changed their lives. There's there's a huge archive in Quebec on this kind of stuff. Many parish priests supported Serena, but the cardinal remained resident opposed to any measures that would limit the size of Quebec families. Now, none of this liberal attitude made its way into Ireland. I mean, in other words, um, it just doesn't happen. UCD Medical School Library has a copy of the Pies the Twelfth Address, which is dated 1952, but this copy was published, I was going to copy it, but it's covered with sellotape tape and everything, you know, it's, it's, it's the way the library has treated it, so you wouldn't see much, but it basically, the, the copy that they have was published in Britain, in Ireland, the CTSI, the Catholic Truth Society of Ireland, doesn't get around to publishing it until 1957. Though it was really giving advice to midwives on how to do a whole lot of things relating to childbirth, marriage, and parenthood, and so on like that. So the fact that it's not published by the CTSI until 57 suggests a considerable lack of enthusiasm. Noonan, the leading authority on contraception from from a kind of a Catholic, Catholic philosophical uh, theological perspective, described. Pius XII's statement as evidence of a new spirit. For the first time, there was a method open to all Christian couples. Not is not the message you would have got if you read Irish theological magazines. The 1952 Irish Theological Quarterly carried an article by William Conway, then a Minuth theologian, subsequently primate of All-Ireland, and he opened with the statement, the Holy Father's discourse introduced no new orientation to the church's so, if you think there was a new dawn, it didn't. It didn't arrive here. A query to the Irish Ecclesiastical Record in 1952, which specifically mentioned the 1951 papal statement, asked whether a married couple, say with one or two children, who, d- who were determined to confine, who were determined to confine um, their sexual activity to the safe period. Sorry, I've lost my spot here. Who determined to confine sexual intercourse in future to the sterile period acted unlawfully. In other words, they have two children, one. Or two children, and they don't really want many more, and they're going to try and do that. Is that unlawful? And he also asked, was was it permissible for a priest to give instruction in private consultation outside confession on the same period? Ken McCarthy said that such instruction would be both imprudent and unlawful. Besides, the counselor should not be, the confessor should not be a counselor of infecundity. Pius XII had mentioned social and economic factors as justification for limiting family size. Canon McCarthy emphasised, these must be serious personal reasons, only grave or serious reasons. So the message in Ireland is clear. Uh, No change. Uh, And limiting the number of children by using the safe period should be exceptional, not the norm. Only, you know, life and death situations, really, really acute circumstances. A 1954 article entitled Catholic Approach to Marriage by a a redemptorist, Reverend Regan, stated that the Pope's address to the Catholic midwives had, quote, emphasized once again the importance of never forgetting that the generation and education of children is the primary purpose marriage. In cases where people had a good reason not to have children, he quoted Pius XII, but God obliges married people to abstain if their union cannot be fulfilled according to the laws of nature. Therefore, in this case, abstinence is possible. Now, some Irish couples might have found access to books might have been instructed by a sympathetic doctor, but the doctors were not trained in this stuff very much. Some got instruction by correspondence, by writing to the to the UK Catholic Marriage Advisor Council. I, I must try and see if there's an archive there, but there there are there are Irish couples in there. But as I said, nobody in Ireland produces any booklet on the subject until the 1970s. Um, large families, but. Some knowledge is getting through. If you look at fertility patterns, if you look at family size by the 1950s, particularly in Dublin, the large families are most common among the poor, and it's quite clear that at least some middle-class couples are either abstaining from sex or using some other method to limit their families at the time. But it's not widespread, and the attitudes are certainly not... Thinking of family limitation as kind of the norm or as a possibility. Bruce Beaver, a Jesuit psychologist who carried out a study looking, comparing religious attitudes of Irish Catholics around Dublin, Dublin City and County, and Irish-American Catholics. Uh, he did it around Pennsylvania. This is done in the early 60s. He doesn't say when he interviews but It's about 63, I think. concluded that on the topic of birth control, um, basically for the Irish, there is no problem. Interviews confirmed that the Irish, by and large, consider abstinence the only legitimate manner of cur- curtailing procreation. But more important this, than this is the equally strong conviction expressed throughout the interviews that even this was somehow frustrating God's will beaver actually was quite shocked by what, what was his findings there's a great positive value placed upon procreation. Many of the Irish expressed total lack of comprehension on how the matter of birth control could be seriously treated in the Catholic context at all. Children are the gift of God, men have nothing to say as to whether or not they come. Parents are only the conditions for the implementation of the divine will in this respect Mm and the Irish regard this as a sacred function which is not to be tempered with. Likewise, they're completely satisfied with accepting the guidance of their clergy in this matter. Um, Attitudes were completely very, very different in in Irish America at the time. Um, By the early 60s, elsewhere, the safe period was being seriously questioned by Catholics. And in fact, US Catholic couples were abandoning it and increasingly resorting to other methods of birth control. Uh, And the frustrations about it are coming through. In Ireland, it hasn't yet arrived. It has scarcely been used. I think this is one of the points I'm trying to make in terms of chronology. The safe period has not really arrived by then. By 1964, which time the pill is being prescribed in Ireland. The pill, in other words, hits Ireland almost before or almost simultaneously with, with natural family planning, perhaps before. The Catholic Guild of St. Luke and St. Cosmos and Damien produced a pamphlet, I haven't yet found it, uh, in which part one, written by a priest, examined the need for family planning, distinguishing between lawful and lawful methods. And the second part, by a doctor, showed how to calculate the infertile period by calendar and temperature methods, and how a doctor would instruct a couple. It's the first evidence that md is producing any literature on this topic. The pamphlet was designed, quote, to state clearly the Catholic concept of family planning, to show that it is an integral part of, and I love this phrase, marriage chastity. And that means are available that are morally licit and medically reliable pamphlet gave a list of recommended books but this pamphlet was only available to doctors so again it's for doctors it's not for the general public. In 1964 the Journal of the Irish Medical Association publishes an article by John O'Sullivan who was a consultant obstetrician in Newry covering identical material to the second part of the Guild of St Luke pamphlets and I suspect he may be the person who wrote that second part. Uh, It does suggest that doctors are seeking information. And O'Sullivan thanks the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council of England and Wales for their assistance. One of the stories here, which I don't have time to go into, is the whole question of Catholic Marriage Advisory Council. Uh, I thought of my naivety a few years ago that it, you know, when you heard about a marriage advisory council it was to deal with disputes within marriage, you know, irreconcilable difficulties and so forth. Uh, a lot of their work, actually, in Britain and in Ireland, when their venture set up, is actually to do with, uh, with family planning or uh, or a family, is actually to do with family planning. Uh, it's very slow coming to Ireland, as I said, 1946, they're established in Britain, they're everywhere by the 1950s. They spread widely in the States, they spread widely in other countries. Uh, McQuaid doesn't want it coming anywhere near Ireland. The first in Ireland comes in Darren Connor, Belfast, in the early 60s. The second uh, is Kilkenny, uh, Bishop Birch, number two, and is only reluctantly in the late sixties does McQuaid concede and open one in Dublin. Uh, but they, this is part of the story. This is the vehicle where the Catholic by which the Catholic Church elsewhere uh, disseminated information in accordance with church teaching to the to the faithful. They don't bother giving any information in Ireland at the time. Uh, the first, place, the first in, in institution to provide widespread information was actually the National Maternity Hospital in hollow Street. In 1963, under new master, Kiro Driscoll, they opened a marriage guidance clinic, and the language is straight out of the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council language, and the clinic advised couples who had serious medical or social reasons on how to avoid further prayer future pregnancies. And a lecture on natural family planning was, was given to every mother who had to give birth in the hospital. By 1967, over 20,000 women had attended the Hollis Street lectures, and the other Dublin maternity hospitals also began to offer advice. By 1967, and I'm just, just I'm not going to go into the details, Hollis Street was actually prescribing the pill to those, uh, to, to, to patients at the clinic uh, who were prepared to take it. Uh, the Hollis Street Clinic actually was set up a, under the guidance and direction of the UK Catholic Marriage Advisory Council. They had they went to Dick and Mar, over and back to London, met John Marshall and others, and you know the procedures and everything they put in place, you actually have a maternity hospital having to do what the Catholic Diocese is doing in the UK, and there was a comment which I couldn't find somewhere in my notes to the effect that this is what's normally done by diocese and by the church and they're having to do it instead. there's a lot more I can say about that, but I'm going to keep moving. 1968, you get Humanae Vitae, the paper encyclical, and this stops, perhaps even reverses hospital based services to provide any assistance. All three Dublin hospitals cease mentioning family planning in their annual reports. It's still done, but it's kind of done under the counter. Now, I thought in my na- naivety that with the fuss over Humanae Vitae, with the expectations widespread in Ireland and elsewhere that the Pope would have recognised the Pill as 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 an acceptable method of family limitation, um, that there would have been an absolute push to put alternatives in place, that you would get a real thrust of effort to create, a movement you know information to provide information and training on natural family planning. You must be joking. didn't happen. By 1970, the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council has only four centres in the Republic, Kilkenny, Cork, Dublin, and Limerick opened sometime around 1970. I have to pin it down. Doreen Rohan commented that the councils do not advertise their services. Most of those who have come to them have heard of their work by word of mouth. Many wives come alone. So it's not exactly, you know, you know they're not exactly... Thumping the airwaves to uh, to announce it. Dr. Lucy in Cork closed down the Cork Council in 1972 because one member said that its main activity was family planning. Uh, Dr. Lucy then set it up with a new council which was chaired by a priest. Um, I should note that the Catholic March Advisor Councils are very hierarchical in a sense chair by priest, doctors, very much in a leading position. I think this is very important when we get into Billings in a moment. By then, however, Irish women's magazines are actually providing numerous articles describing natural family planning, the different methods and setting, you know, setting out guidance to it. And this is all response to a multiplicity of letters from readers. Uh, by 1970s, momentum in natural family planning passes to the Billings method. And this is John and Evelyn Billings. But, uh, the photograph comes from Niall Tumberdy who met them. Billings was a neurologist. What there is about neurologists uh, uh, and family planning, I don't quite know because Marshall in London was a neurologist as well, this man was a neurologist. There's also something about maths, physics, and 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 pro-life movements, which I'll get into on another occasion because I can think of two examples. This was thrown at me by somebody I was talking to. But anyway, that's another thing. But Billings' method is called after John Billings, who with his wife, Evelyn didn't invent it, they promoted this method of detecting ovulation by de- by monitoring changes of cervical mu- mucus. One Irish source, we always find an Irish link, uh, said that Billings did it because Cardinal Maddox asked him to carry out this research. I don't know how true that is, but anyway, that's one Irish version of the story. Billings had been active in the, in the Australian Catholic Marriage Advisory Council, but part of company with them in 1970 or 71, but he con- continued to receive considerable support from the Australian Church. Now, in reality, Billings doesn't invent this. There are a lot of other scientists who are working in this space, but their names only feature in the scholarly literature. I mean, you know, I could get to the footnotes on them. According to John Bonner, the main advance of the Billings method was to teach women themselves. This is this is where, you know, this is moving into a, a feminist a women's space, to teach women themselves to de- detect changes in the cervical mucus. The temperature method would have required medical advice and training. The Catholic Marriage Advisory Council, Dr. X comes in and tells you how to do it. And okay, they did eventually in Britain begin to spread and get married couples doing it. Uh, You're using a medical instrument, the thermometer, and as I said, you need the graph paper and the charts and all this kind of stuff. Billings claims to be be going back to nature. It's an escape from the tyranny of the thermometer. Ordinary women are training other women to detect changes in their bodies. Billings is very much part and parcel of second wave feminism, though I think many feminists would probably kill me for saying that, but it is a a women-led movement, it by and large dismisses professionals, though we find one male professional very prominent at the moment, it promotes self-awareness of the body, self-screening, it's it's in tune with natural childbirth, it's in in tune with breast screening, female networks, and this whole entity, and Evelyn Billings is critical in this whole process. Apart from the back to nature message and the fact that any woman can do it herself, any woman can teach other women how to do it, Billings is also claiming that he's, that they can expand the days of self-sex. In other words, that couples can now have sex before ovulation because under the temperature method, the idea was you waited until the temperature went up, at which point ovulation happened and then, then sex was safe. Billings claimed that there was, there was, it was possible to save safe sex before ovulation. At a conference on population and ecology which was held during the 1973 Eucharistic Congress in Melbourne, Billings was acclaimed as the solution to world overpopulation, a low-cost method that could be used even by the uneducated illiterate women. The first report of the method's effectiveness in 1972 was done in Tonga. 282 couples were monitored over nine months. Uh, In truth, there were 82 pregnancies, which is quite a lot. But as 50 women broke the rules and 28 were deemed to have deliberately become pregnant, they only counted three pregnancies as failures. (laughs) And we'll get more of this in a moment. we keep going there. According to Naomi, and Naomi is the National Association of Ovulation Methods. Ireland, it's, it's, it's one of the billing's groups in Ireland, and they eventually, after several months uh, and repeated emails, sent me a short note yesterday, and they promised me more material. Billings was first introduced to Ireland in 1971 by Father Dermot Hurley, an Irish Columbian father who was former head of the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council in Suva, Fiji. So you have Catholic Marriage Advisory Councils in Fiji before you have them in Ireland, apparently. And Father Father Hurley, coming back to Ireland for a long holiday, travelled to Melbourne. He'd worked there before. He met Dr. Billings, and he got so excited by what Billings was doing that when he came home to Ireland, Father Hurley wrote an article about it in the Irish Times, which was published on the 24th of September. Uh, I should have, sorry, I should have got the title. It's kind of bad news for family planning clinics will soon be irrelevant, or something like that is the title. Uh, and uh, I intend to put in there, sorry. Uh, and it also, it also publishes an article by Billings. I think this is probably the first mention Billings in Ireland and Father Hurley also gets his own family, his old relatives involved in promulgating the message. I'm trying to work out the T of contacts in Cork because Cork is definitely the first outpost of billings in Ireland, and I really need to find that out. The first billings clinic in Ireland opens in 72. It would have been supported by Bishop by Dr. Lucy, who was a maverick, and was run by OMAS, the Ovulation Method Advisory Service. One of the driving forces behind it was Sister Anne Healy, a nurse who had learned the technique in New Zealand and had come back to Ireland, and she was operating. she was providing services in the bonds uh, the court clinic was operated from the Capuchin Friary a second leader was a woman called Jane Quinlan uh, uh, Jane Quinlan's husband was a UCC professor of maths physics, he was also senator at NUI he's an implacable opponent during the 74 uh, Family Planning Act and various other things Another early advocate of Billings was a woman called Mae Fitzgerald, lecturer in anatomy in NUIG, who claimed that Billings was no more difficult than looking for blood on a toothbrush. But frankly, some of her statements are open to question. She claimed to have been teaching it from the early mid-60s, in which case she was obviously ahead of everybody else. I think she's getting confused about stuff. It's for, the early years are very slow and they're quiet. The clinics are being held in convents, they have been held in schools. There are nuns who are actively involved. You, you're having to begin to think in terms of feminism, Vatican II, there's a whole lot of, of networks and forces that are coming there, the subaltern, they're not kind of top down in the church. They get very little publicity, there's much more attention in the Catholic standard devoted to invective against abortion than there is to anything to do with this. But what is central to the story, in my mind, is this female leadership. Now, all changes in the second half of the 1970s, and this is quite important, uh, final weeks in 75, the Catholic bishops issue a pastoral human life as sacred and they begin to rather belatedly and lethargically act more constructively with respect to abortion and contraception. Cura is set up in, in 77 just about to help single mothers. They were very slow at doing it. The Cork Marriage Advisory Clinic, uh, the Billings Clinic in Cork, launches a campaign to train nurses and doctors. By the way, there would have been some natural family planning lectures given in places like Hollistery from about 1969-70 on, so most nurses would have got at least one or two lectures on it. And then in 1977, Fianna Fáil returned to government and Charles Hohey, Minister for Health, expressed a commitment to legislate on family planning. I won't bring you through the debacle of the Fine Gael Labour government uh, who did try to legislate. And then in 1975, and this is very important, John Bond. Arrives in Ireland. Bonner was, I haven't met him yet, and you know, I I need to go and talk to him and learn more. Bonner was an international Glasgow-born parent, first-generation Irish parents, uh, one of the leading uh, uh, obstetric gynecology researchers in the UK, based in Oxford. He published some of the early scientific papers on the contraceptive pill. And I mean I need to check but the anecdotal evidence I have is that he left Britain because of abortion and because of the whole changing climate there he found it very uncomfortable. But anyway he became professor of obstetrics and gynecology in Trinity late in nineteen seventy five. In February 77, Bonner becomes the principal investigator on a large WHO study of the effectiveness of the Billings method, and Ireland is one of the five area studies. Bonner estimates that in 1977, there are 20,000 Irish couples using natural family planning, which if accurate is somewhere between half and two-thirds of the numbers in the pill. So this is one of the fascinating stories. You know, they're coming from behind for so much of this time. It's really only in 77 that access to natural family planning becomes widely available in Ireland only then that opponents of the liberalisation of contraception begin to advocate natural family planning. They're just opposing a liberalisation and not offering anything in its place. An article in 1978 in Hiberia entitled John Bonner's Billings Boom by John Feeney, whose father coincidentally would have been master at the comb, um, claimed that it was the smack of professional acceptability that seems to persuade the church to back the Billings method so forcefully. In other words, when it was being done by nurses, nuns and ordinary women the hierarchy showed very little interest in it. When Professor Bonner of Trinity College came in, uh, things changed enormously. Uh, and then he goes on to say that under the ages of Professor Bonner TCD, the Billings Method has been adopted all over the country. This is kind of 1978. Since last year, 1977-78, hundred and one bidding centres were set up in Southern Ireland, eleven in Northern Ireland, including eleven Dublin, 4 in Dublin, Ford Kildare, three loud five Clare, four Mayo, five Sligo, four Modern, etc. And, and uh, I have here a hope. Yeah. This is where, this is the Cork Service, and it gives you an idea how it operates. You've got the Bonsecure Hospital, you've got the, the, the Main Centre, Main Street, and they do postal and I don't know what school service means, I must say. You've got their thing you've got them then meeting community centre, the parochial hall, community centre, the sacristy of the church in Ballinlock, which I find strange, the crypt in the church down his cross, the sacristy, the centre, the nursing centre, the social centre, and This is kind of the pattern. Cork is the strongest population of billings clinics but that's the kind of places, if you go around the country, they're meeting in Socrates, they're meeting in community centres, they're meeting in church halls, they're meeting in convent schools. Generally, Monday night, Wednesday night, they're generally evening, except for the big places like, you know, the the, the centre, that big centre. Most of them are there. Uh, In Dublin you get them kind of in places like the National School of Rialto, the De La Salle School of Rahini, the Oblid Retreat in Jacore, the Little Flower Hall, Mean Street, St. Patrick's Girls' School in Ballyroan, the Compre- Girls' Comprehensive School in Ballymun, all ho- offering weekly courses. So by 1977, 78, it's estimated that 40,000 women are trained in bidding. So, I mean, this is really the first time that the whole thing begins to spread. And John Feeney offered two explanations for its success. Women who didn't have a car could get and could go and learn billings locally and you'll find if you go through the records of the family planning clinics bus timetables, getting to Dublin, the letters into the women's things you know, I mean we have to understand access communication everything is very very significant, much more of a barrier at the time and then the other group that are taking it up are women who are abandoning the pill because of reports of health risks and frankly a lot of Bonner's interest is because of women who will have to come off the pill because of health risks and that's where a lot of Bonner's interest in billings is coming from he's much less dogmatic than, than he's he's much less dogmatic than than the typical billings person by 19, 1981 it was claimed that more than 50,000 couples were practising billings. So it's gone way up from uh, from 20,000 in something like 77 to, 80, to more than double that by 81. A comment on the government file on the Hohi Bill uh, in the National Archives notes that if billings proved to be effective it would diminish many of the difficulties currently associated with legislating re- legislation in relation to family planning. The more intelligent opponents of the liberalization of the contraception laws seized on Billings as the solution to all their problems. Gift of Life, a pamphlet produced by the advisory committee of the Knights of Columbanus, probably in 1979, demanded that the state, a training in natural methods, provide consulting rooms, support advertising campaigns, and provide funding for some full-time staff. They also quoted newspaper stories claiming that Billings had a 99% success rate. Hohe did provide money for National Conference Natural Family Planning, which happened in Trinity. And he also provided grants to both the Catholic Marriage Advisory Council for training and for their clinics, and billings for their training and clinic. And how he also required all family planning clinics, including Well Woman and others, to offer training in natural methods if they were going to survive. They just had to offer natural method training. Health boards also funded a natural family planning. So after 79, there's a lot of government funding going into natural family planning, not into any other As an aside, it's interesting too that natural family planning counselling training could be provided by anybody. You could set up on the side of the street with no qualifications required, whereas condoms required a doctor's prescription. There was a complete imbalance between the medicalisation of the supply of barrier methods and uh, the the opening up to everybody of the right to to, to, disseminate natural family planning. Ireland was actually very important to Billings because Billings had been almost entirely ignored throughout the rest of Europe. The numbers using natural family planning in Western Europe had dropped very, very remarkably. I have a figure somewhere I should put in. The Catholic Standard claimed that by 1978, looking forward to this stage, Ireland may be a word often used by international family planning experts. It will be the industrialized model for the success or relative failure of the natural family planning methods. Uh, the WHO uh, recruited billings instructors from the three Irish networks, the Cork-based Omas, which has been there since the early 70s, the one I know nothing about, the Family Life Centre at Knox Shrine, I know nothing about that, I have to find out more, and Naomi, which opened in Dublin sometime around 77, 78. Then in 1977 you also get the foundation of WOM, it's WOM with double O, W-O-O-M-B, which is the World Organisation of Relation Method Billings, was established in Los Angeles to promote things worldwide. And you get Irish delegations uh, going to their conferences. The leading Irish delegate was a woman called Mrs. Mavis Kennery, who I suspect was a nurse. She 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 was from Santry, and she was president, and she's the chief organizer in Dublin. By then, in, uh, Naomi has 11 centres and 25 Billings instructors working around the Dublin area. John Bonner claimed that educated women adopted Billings with suspicion. He was reported in the Catholic Standard as saying the richer society becomes the more sophisticated, the higher the failure rate, for the rhythm method. In rural areas and more simple societies, the failure rate is much less. The people who use it best are country women, mostly farmers' wives. Despite Bonner's prominence, Billings was generally very distrustful of medical men. The Irish Independent reported Mrs. Kennery as saying that she was none too happy with our medical men. Bonner explained that this was because Billings offered no real role for the doctor. Connor Carr, who actually has showed up here a couple of times at seven hours, gynecologist in Port Giancola, which was a hospital run by the Franciscan Missionary sisters, claimed that in 1966, that to date, the promotion of the use of the Biddings method has been conspicuous by two characteristics namely, firstly, the enthusiasm of the promoters, and secondly, the almost complete lack of statistics on the clinic's results. You're into a, a medicalised world, you're into randomised trials, you're into an awful lot more data on all drug therapies and everything by the stage, and this really does, it does carry out. So Connor Carr conducted a trial with 104 private patients at Port He claimed that private patients were better educated than the average patient and should therefore be able to absorb the stuff better to, you know, to, to understand. Only half of his, 55 of the 104 completed the charts he he asked them to fill out. Six became pregnant within over six months. One had completely misunderstood all the instructions. Two who became pregnant appeared to have followed all the rules but still became pregnant and in three cases it looked as if that the, they were obeying the rules and they still became pregnant as well. So C- Connor Carr commented that the impression generally given has been that this is a method which is easy to use and easy to teach. The figures presented here show that this is not the case. The biddings enthusiasts rounded on the man with absolute savagery uh, noting that there is unique months and months of follow-up instruction. Dr. Kevin Hume who's one of bidding's Billings' main collaborations in Australia who visited Ireland over time told Dr. Carr his survey was a very good example of what not to do. Uh, the WHO study that I mentioned that Bonham was PI on took place in five locations, Dublin, Auckland, New Zealand, Manila, Philippines, Bangalore, India and San Miguel in El Salvador and it confirmed the findings of other studies. After 16 cycles, 45.9%, almost percent, almost half of those people in the study had dropped out. A, almost a quarter, 23%, because they became pregnant. And these are volunteers, and these are, are couples who have been screened. Women with irregular cycles have been excluded from it. The study showed a pregnancy rate of 22.3 per 100 women-years, so it's... Between a fifth and a quarter of the women got pregnant. The highest pregnancy rate was in Auckland. The second, uh, Dublin was second. The lowest was in Bangalore, but the lowest is 19%. The women in Auckland, who were by far the best educated, some of them with college degrees, a, found the greatest difficulty in understanding the method. The women in San Miguel, many of them illiterate, had the least difficulty in understanding it. Dublin had the highest rate of cons- conscious departure from the rules. They broke the rules. The women in this trial had volunteered, but this in mind, they'd passed a selection process, and they had very high level of monitoring and support, but many of them consciously broke the rules. The highest number of rule breakers were New Zealand and Dublin, the most sophisticated locations. Now, that's not how a Billings enthusiast would present the findings. There were remarkable claims for the success of buildings. It was allegedly higher than the pale, without side effects. These claims are only possible because so many unexplained pregnancies are dismissed as due to user failure. In other words, the method is perfect, but the user has made a complete hash of, of it. So, if a couple breaks the rules and have sex during the prohibitive period in the women's cycle, uh, uh, some Billings uh, uh, studies, including one in the States, determined that the couple had wanted to become pregnant, and they, they put them down as, you know, voluntary pregnancies. On the Pearl Index, which is an index accepted by demographers of fertility, Billings shows an average pregnancy rate of 25%. So the WHO couples did slightly better, they're only 23%. An analysis carried out of the Billings method in 1984 by Catherine Beck, who was an Australian uh, researcher, suggested actually that Billings had a higher failure rate than the temperature method. By the early 1980s, when the Catholic Marge Advisory Council based in Clonliffe College introduced a training program in natural family planning, they adopted the symptothermal method, which is the belt and braces approach. Uh, This is the temperature method, that's the ovulation there, and that's the symptom method where you put down, you know, your, your mucus findings. And what they taught couples was to use the two, in other words, try the two approaches. Uh, This was promulgated and developed by various people, including a woman called Anna Anna Flynn, a a UCD medical graduate who was based in Britain and who was noted for teaching this and taught it both in Ireland and internationally. Bonner uh, Bonner suggested, as I said, that Bonner suggested that Billings worked best for couples who were determined not to have any more children and presumably were so determined that they were prepared to abstain from sexual intercourse for much of the time. Bonner himself began to have serious doubts about the effectiveness of Billings in Ireland. He wondered if the method could work in a society where there's a strong impetus through the media, for a high rate of intercourse among young married couples. In other words, he claims women are not prepared to abstain for at least eight days, and in some cases up to 17 days a month, to find the method to work. Bonner's, Bonner, as I said, was a pragmatist, not a particular look on that. He would he favoured Billings plus barrier. In other, in other words, the couples would use Billings and then use barrier method during the high risk times. In 1966, Declan Marr, reporting on a survey of women attending the family planning clinic at Hollis Street and these are women who have recently given birth, noted that one of the major difficulties in the practice of the rhythm method is the necessity for abstinence from intercourse until regular menstruation is returned. In more than 60% of cases, the interval between delivery and the first period is at least seven weeks. Records of at least three periods must be available. You can safely predict abstinence for five or six months after birth. The use of the rhythm method imposes an intolerable strain on many marriages, and this is, comes through in so many instances. The article on Natural Family Planning in the a Journal of the Irish Medical Association in 1964 suggested that ideally a woman should charter cycle and abstain for 12 months before embarking on the calendar method. One woman explained that she tried to use natural family planning on several occasions, but she and her husband got tired of waiting until they had worked out their regular cycle, and she, Judy, would become pregnant instead. The problem pages of women's magazines from the late 1960s onwards are full of letters from married women and the occasional men who are trying to use family planning but give up. Lena, 34, this is 1969, lived in a corporation flat, started on rhythm after the first two were born, then came the next two uh, the youngest, 11 months. Her nerves started going a bit. I started making excuses, and then she went on the pill. Tom, my husband, would probably die if he knew what I was doing. I'm just doing it for him to keep our marriage the way it should be. Or this other woman. Um, married six years, pregnant from her honeymoon, four children. We have continuously tried to practice the rhythm method. My husband, who is really worried about, has decided this doesn't work for us. Our last two babies were born as a result of its inaccuracy or mine. He wants to try, quote, to so I think this is destructive sexual pleasure. I did want to Take the pill against all my feelings in this matter. My doctor told me I'm, I was not a suitable subject, so what can I do? Uh, Connor Car conducted a, in 1980, Connor Carr conducted a survey of 347 patients who had babies in Port Yonkela. 28% had used the calendar method, 11% had used billings, 5% had used temperature method. Almost 36% had used no method at all. By the way, the candor method is used by couples who uh, seem to be used by women who are too insecure and go and talk to a doctor, too insecure, too uncomfortable about their own body to engage in self-examination couldn't cope with taking the temperature, filling in charts, so it's the method that's attempted with a huge failure rate by women who are just too nervous of the communication, the contact, the conversation, and all the other documentation, all the other things that go with that go with either the temperature or the biddings method. But anyway, going back to Connor Carr, but Connor, and this is 1980, poor Junkler, points out that at present a large number of couples attempting to plan their families are not succeeding and over one-third are not planning at all. It's not just ban slow. 140 couples using nat- sorry, of 140 couples using natural family planning in Portioncola, 78, more than half, had an unplanned pregnancy. Winifred O'Neill, who carried out a survey of family planning among Rotunda patients in the mid-1980s, noted that working-class women had little knowledge of basic reproduction bi- reproductive biology. More than half didn't know the fertile part of their cycle. The calendar method, as I said, was by far the least reliable, and it was used by the women who lacked the confidence to go to a family planning class, talk to a nurse, or doctor, or go to the family planning clinic. But by the 1980s, the, fam- the natural family planning business is booming. This is the peak of natural family planning in Ireland. You can get couple to couple training sessions based out of Drohdis, uh, it was, was organised out of that. Training sessions for nurses and trainers, lots and lots of booklets. The expansion is thanks to Charles Hawhey's 1979 Family Planning Bill. In other words, it's only when government money comes in behind it that you really get a, a, a ramping up of the resources at the time, which is actually quite interesting. I've been told anecdotally uh, the decline ticks in sometime around 1990 but I haven't looked that far. A study carried out by Jimmy Trussell who was an old friend of mine in, in Nuffield College, Oxford and who uh, uh, became, became a major researcher in the Princeton Demographic Group concluded that the success of the ovulation method, Billings, is high when used correctly. In other words, if you keep the rules, it has quite a high success rate, but it is very unforgiving of imperfect use. In other words, if you keep the rules, it's fine, but if you don't, the consequences are going to be pregnant. And uh, Trussell and his research assistant ended the article by quoting a man called Joseph Rutzer. Uh, who was the pioneer of the symptothermal variant, the one I, I've shown you, Billings plus uh, temperature? That quote: "Natural conception regulation is not is not is not a is not contraception, but it's a way of life, and it was a way of life that many Irish couples attempted, but only in the 70s and 80s, and many of them found wanting." So let me conclude. Is Ireland different? I would say yes. It's very late fertility decline, much longer acceptance of larger families. Um, It's not really until the 1980s that it kicks in. Why is this... Are there cultural preferences for larger families? We have to tease that out. What is certainly clear is that they, I mean, one of the first things that Princeton recognises for fat, fertility limitation regards the method is that people must think it's within the possibility. You have to think about doing it, and you have to think it's possible regardless of how you're trying. And thinking about how it's possible comes very late in large parts of Ireland. You've got a, a Catholic Church that is relentlessly opposed to natural family planning. Um, the UK Catholic Marriage Advisory Council, as I said, um, is providing a lot of advice. Quebec is providing a lot of advice. The difference is probably that they're competing forces in those communities. Certainly in Britain there would be. In Ireland there probably aren't. What you have here, as I see it, is for sort of very complacent church that is relying on prohibition to enforce its rules. Maybe they were correct because, from natural plan, family planning, one could argue that other methods uh, kicked in as well. There are other to pres- the story that I think are worth noting. The international networks. UK, a lot of advice coming from the UK. Billings from Australia, US Catholic networks. They're very, very important. Another one is... Laity, I think one of the reasons why natural family planning is late, coming to Ireland, is the lack of tolerance of a Catholic laity, an educated, active Catholic laity. Uh, in Quebec, it's, it's a married couple who really launched the whole um, Serena. Sim- uh, Catholic laity in Ireland aren't, aren't allowed to open their mouth really until after Vatican II, and even then, only very limited fashion. Um, You've got this women's involvement that is particularly noteworthy from the 70s onwards under Billing. Um, So there's there's a whole lot of things there that I find interesting, but I I haven't quite put my head around yet. But at this stage, I'm going to shut up.